Today's horror story is written by Suspicious Nail 949. I was an agent with the supernatural branch of the FBI for 14 years, and in that time, I've been a part of several cases that would objectively be classified as interesting. It's a caveat of the occupation. This one, though, it was without a doubt one of the most revealing cases I've ever heard of, let alone been a part of. To this day, I still wonder what could have been if things played out differently. July 18th, 2000. It was a Tuesday. I came into work just like any other day, and as was a fairly common occurrence, there was a case file waiting for me on my desk. An identical one, as always, was on the desk across from me, that of my partner, Amelia Cooper, who hadn't arrived just yet. The file was rather unusual, as it consisted of just the standard manila folder and one piece of paper, as opposed to the beefy packet usually found within labeled Luca Jackson missing. The folder had been assigned to Amelia and I by our direct supervisor, Alexis Mosley. As she was the branch's preventative division leader, that meant there was sufficient evidence of a supernatural threat on the scene to require our intervention. And when I read the paper, it became apparent why. It read, July 17th, 2000, 2346, 546 local time. An American citizen named Luca Jackson had disappeared in the catacombs contained beneath the city of Paris, France. Jackson had been visiting Paris on a vacation from work, and it is believed that he decided to record himself exploring the catacombs. He entered at a location to be disclosed later, and then began filming as he explored many rooms, examining bones and discovering various fixtures. However, something seemed to go wrong as he began running through the passages, making his way deeper and deeper into the maze also passing by several strange markings, some arrows, some resembling faces. Then, after some time, he drops the camera and runs off into the distance, accompanied by a splash of water. The film was somehow collected and posted to LiveJournal.com, an internet blogging website, where it was discovered by our agents before quickly being taken down by an unknown administrator. You and Agent Cooper are to fly out on location, a private plane will be provided for you, and investigate the scene. If possible, Jackson is to be brought home alive and the threat eradicated. If Jackson is dead upon arrival, the threat being eradicated or captured is sufficient. There is the possibility of interference by local governments, so within this file are proper credentials denoting you as federal ambassadors sent to France to retrieve an American fugitive. The credentials should provide you with any access you require should a police agency claim jurisdiction. This is going to be one of those cases, isn't it? Amelia asked, and I glanced up quickly, startled by her sudden arrival. We'd been partners for 10 years, and we'd had some exciting cases before. The Millennium had been rather tepid, though, and this was our first case with some real substance to it. Not only that, but neither of us had ever heard of a supernatural branch case leaving the country, so this may be a landmark event. Sure is. I nodded, flipping to the last page, which informed me where I could watch the footage. Let's check this out before we leave. She came around to my desk and I opened my email account. I don't spend much time on it. Amelia is definitely more technologically savvy than the two of us. But there were only a few digital letters in there, so I was able to find the one containing the video. It wasn't long, but it was disturbing. A man, assumedly Jackson, 
began recording as he entered the Paris catacombs. He stopped every so often to film a symbol on a wall or a certain skeleton, and the pattern continued on until it was clear he didn't know where he was going. Then, at the end of the video, he stopped and turned around. Whatever he saw made him turn around and begin sprinting in the other direction, dropping his camera, his only source of light, as he did so. Then he ran off into the darkness. Did you see that? Amelia asked, leaning closer to the screen. Rewind it a bit. What? I returned, but she was already hunched over my keyboard, setting the video back to the time she wanted. She quickly paused and resumed it, and it became apparent what she was talking about. Yep, it's there all right. She nodded, sitting back. What do you think? The frame she'd paused the video on was chilling. It showed some sort of distorted figure appearing just moments before Jackson drops the camera. It looked like a pale face outlined almost cartoonishly against the blank white wall of the catacombs. Sure, Jackson had begun to panic long before the face appeared on camera, but it wouldn't take an extreme logical jump to believe he simply hadn't videotaped the thing before, and it was what he'd been running from all along. Something about the face seemed familiar. Definitely reminded me of a creature I had studied before, though I couldn't quite remember what. The pale, white face, the jagged, distorted features... Oh, that's it. It's a sequala. You think? Amelia asked, stroking her chin. What would a sequala be doing chasing an American citizen in the catacombs? I shrugged. Maybe you want fast food, I replied, and she chuckled. Maybe. Want to pick up the file before we head out? Let's do it. I nodded, standing up. I closed up the window on my computer and took the file with me, and we began the walk from the office section of the Supernatural Branch's headquarters to the massive archives. Whereas the offices could easily pass for the offices of any other company, the archives were distinctly supernatural. This was in part due to the archivist, Seth Nolan, and his borderline obsession with all things supernatural. The archives were a completely separate building from the offices tucked away behind the towering skyscrapers that made up the branch's national headquarters, which allowed Nolan far more creative liberty in decorating his place of business than most supernatural buildings. Most prominently, the building didn't seem to follow the laws of physics. It was shaped like an hourglass, with nothing to support the upper half except the tip of the lower pyramid, seemingly keeping the upper pyramid on the brink of toppling over, through some supernatural aspect, keeping it upright. The archives themselves are organized with the most valuable information in the center, the smaller floors, and the less valuable information in the wider sections. A system that makes sense to all but the low-clearance operatives that have to travel past information they don't have access to in order to obtain information they do have access to. After swiping my card in the scanner at the entrance, I saw Nolan looking through the shelf just inside, and wondered why it was on the low-clearance floor. Hey, Seth! I called out and he glanced over. Seth was a pale, scrawny guy with jet black hair neatly pulled back, and his uniform pristinely pressed. He liked to keep himself together. Agent Lawson, he said, recalling my name as soon as he saw my face. What can I do for you? We're heading overseas, I told him, possibly looking at a sequela in the catacombs and went after an American citizen. Ah, oh, yes, a sequela, he nodded, turning around and walking deeper into the archives. The file was on the first floor, so after walking a few rows down, he took a left and began thumbing through the files. 
Not the type of creature one would particularly like to meet in the catacombs, eh? I shook my head and tugged out a file from the shell. Not many creatures in these files you would want to see in the catacombs, are there? I returned as he handed me the file. Fair enough, Seth nodded. Remember not to put all your eggs in one basket. It might not be sequela in there. Be ready for anything. Good luck on the mission. All right, thanks, I replied, shaking his hand. With that, Amelia and I departed from the archives. Seth was an efficient man, that's for sure. The whole ordeal had been under a minute. With that, we made our way back to the Bureau's private airstrip, a little stretch of pavement that we used for long-distance cases. It was a short drive away from headquarters, and upon arrival, we saw a jet marked with the Supernatural Branch's logo plastered on the side. We quickly boarded, bidding America goodbye, and with that became the first agents of the FBI's Supernatural Branch to leave the country on official business. These sequelas, Amelia said, breaking the silence after around a half hour of flying. They're native to the area? Seems like it. Very concentrated there, at least. Something about this seems off to me. She sighed, glancing up from the dossier. The video. Why is it like that? It feels like we're missing a piece of the puzzle. Aren't we always? I mused. I suppose so. But this guy, Luca Jackson, he survived a hell of a long time for someone running from a ten-foot-tall carnivorous skeleton in the catacombs. You don't think it's a sequela? I replied. All I'm saying is the creature was clearly toying with him. Any supernatural being, sequala or not, could have taken this guy out in under a minute. A sequala's not going to play with its food. They're not intelligent, though, I said, shaking my head. That means... It's not a sequala. And what's more, it's probably more dangerous than a sequala. Do we call it in? I asked. She shrugged. They're not going to care. It'd take a hell of a lot more than something satisfied with killing one American citizen for them to send reinforcements. What's the equipment situation? I asked. We're prepared to deal with a physical threat. I doubt this is metaphysical, so we should be good in that department. How about exposure if it gets out? Amelia nodded gravely. It's smart, so I have a feeling it's either trapped in there by some sort of ritual, or it's biding its time. Either way, if it gets out, we're in a lot of trouble. We have to get there before it does. I checked my watch and said, We still got, what, 14 hours left? Not much to do but hope. Unbeknownst to us as we made our way across the Atlantic, there certainly was plenty going on in France. And soon enough, it would have a major impact on our lives. July 19th. By the time the plane touched down in France, it was four in the morning the next day, local time. We'd gotten some sleep on the flight over and had been volunteered as test subjects for an experimental new pill that did something to keep us awake longer. 
So, despite the early hour, we were well-rested and prepared to deal with whatever had abducted Luca Jackson. At least, we thought we were. The branch had provided us with a car, and as soon as we got in, the driver wordlessly took us to the entrance we believed Luca had disappeared into. There were a few Parisians we saw in shops or homes, setting out for the day, but for the most part, the streets were completely silent, which made the entrance to the immense cave system all the more daunting. The driver pulled up to a stop in front of a small cobblestone path that descended into the ground below an alleyway, marked with red warning signs written in French. No more than a few feet into the cave, darkness shrouded anything that could lay within. But that had all been expected. What wasn't expected were the two people standing outside of it, one dressed in an entirely black suit with sunglasses to match, the other apparently a civilian. They had been arguing when we arrived, but as we pulled up, they stopped and looked curiously at us. Who's this? I asked. Local government? They're probably investigating the disappearance, too. Alright, well, we'll pull jurisdiction and keep them away. I said, pulling the car door and addressing the two with my very limited French knowledge. Bonjour! I take it from your accent you speak English. The woman in the suit said. What's your business here? We're with the FBI. We're going to take things from here. I can provide you with a line to my superior if you wish to file a complaint. Whoa, whoa. Let's slow down here. She replied, holding out her hand and reaching into her pocket to produce her own badge. You can't go in there. It's not available to the public. We're not the public. I said as she briefly flashed her own badge, too quick for any identifying visuals to be apparent. We have jurisdiction here. It was a U.S. citizen that disappeared. Yeah, trust me. It's best if you leave this to us. If you want, I can get you in touch with my superiors, and you can get it sorted out with them. First of all, neither of you have jurisdiction here. The man jutted in. I'm the leader of a European organization that has deemed this case worthy of investigation. As leader, I have no one to direct you to besides myself. And there is no matter to discuss. Okay, okay, hold on. I said, holding up a hand. You two are both with private organizations, not government affiliated. They both nodded. And you're from America while you're from Europe? I asked, and they nodded again. I glanced at Amelia and said, All right, I think I see what's happening here. We're just going to have to be honest with each other here. What do you mean? Are you implying that you haven't been honest? I'm implying we're all here for the same reason, I said. We're not here for the person, are we? We're here for the creature. I'd just really like to thank Fearsome Hero for playing Amelia. And Dodge the Grave for playing... You don't know yet. You'll have to find out. In part two, starting... Now. While the man profusely denied any knowledge of the creature at first, I could tell by the woman's expression that I had guessed correctly. How do you know about it? She asked, interrupting the man's facade. I exchanged another look with Amelia and nodded. We're with what's called the supernatural branch of the FBI. We deal with this sort of thing. The supernatural branch. She repeated, nodding. I'm with the supernatural protection agency. Private business. But we do the same. Let's take this inside, the man said, nodding to the cave. Not safe to speak of things like this in public. 
I'm Jody Palmer, by the way. The woman introduced herself. We shared our names as well, the man revealing his name to be Preston Pace. Once we were in the secluded darkness of the catacombs, surrounded by the eerie skeletons, Jody said, All right. Well, even with your knowledge of the supernatural, I'm still going to have to push jurisdiction. What? Why? With a grim look on her face, she replied, Jackson. He's one of ours. He's an agent. Well, I'll be damned. What was he doing down here? I'm afraid I can't tell you. Confidential. But, regardless, we'll take care of it. Once again, you don't have the right to say that, Pace interjected. It may be your agent, but it's my territory. As the two resumed their argument, I turned to Amelia. You know, we really don't have much reason to be here, do we? Nope. No, we don't. Just as I was about to point this out to the two arguing agents, though, I caught a whiff of something I really, really didn't want to smell in a small, enclosed underground space. Smoke. I glanced back at Amelia, sniffing. Do you? She nodded and we turned around. There was a dull orange glow flickering from around the corner. And as I looked closer, tongues of flame spurted out, licking the walls formed from human bones. Uh, um, agents, there's a bit of a problem. I called over my shoulder, confused. They quieted, and then they turned to face the way we'd come. A massive wall of flame suddenly burst around the corner, waves of heat pouring over us. I'd never seen anything like it. It was as if the air itself caught a flame. It was advancing towards us at an alarming rate. Go, go, go! Preston shouted, and Amelia and I whipped around him, too frantic to wonder how a massive wall of flame had come to begin chasing us down the halls of the catacombs. The flickering fire at her heels cast dancing shadows across the walls of bone, confusing the passageways and openings, and distorting the already labyrinthian maze that was the tunnels. I don't know when it happened, but at some point, the group separated, because when we finally managed to outrun the wall of flame, I glanced over, and the only person sharing the hallway with me was Jody Palmer. Amelia and Preston had disappeared. Well, I said, leaning up against the wall before jerking back, looking at the skull I'd pressed up against. I'll be damned. What the hell was that? Jody asked, looking down the now empty passageway. Uh, something must have exploded. Or maybe there was a, a gas leak or something. That didn't seem natural. I replied. Are you sure you can't tell me why Jackson was down here? If it's on a need-to-know basis, well, I think I'd qualify as needs-to-know. But she shook her head, a gesture I barely recognized in the darkness. I can't. I mean, I barely know what it was for. And even the little information I have is highly confidential. I let out a long sigh. All right. Well, there's not much we can do but walk. I'll start heading back. What? Why would we do that? We should be going deeper in. The flames probably destroyed a lot of the tunnels, and besides, it's probably more interesting this way. That's absurd. We're in the catacombs. You saw Jackson's video. You know how easy it is to get lost in here, I told her. Proper protocol is to return to the scene of the supernatural threat, assess damage, and determine whether retreat or retaliation is the right move. That sounds like a bad idea. What, does the SBA have a different protocol? I asked. Yeah, 
We have a protocol called a gut. And mine's telling me going back is not the way to go. I bit my lip. This wasn't really a hill I wanted to die on, especially not literally. And judging by her lack of respect for rules, I could tell this wasn't going to be the only disagreement we'd have. So I decided to relent. All right, we'll keep going. She led the way, shining a flashlight to avoid tripping, and we made our way through the winding passageways, eerily lined with the seemingly never-ending ancient bones. The beam the flashlight cast was far too narrow for my liking. It always felt like there was something just at the edge of the light, but it was the only light source we had, and it sure was better than darkness. So, a supernatural branch of the FBI. Jody mused after a few minutes of walking in silence. What's that like? What do you mean? I asked. I don't know. What do you guys do? How do things work? I've never met another supernatural agent. Hell, I didn't think there were other supernatural agents. Probably similar to what you do, I said. We monitor things like police reports, newspaper articles, and recently these websites for possible supernatural activity. And if it's determined that an investigation is warranted, agents are assigned the mission. Well, I suppose that's part of it. We're more proactive about it, though. We monitor areas known for their supernatural activity as well. And a lot of our cases involve large-scale operations, as opposed to just prevention. Who's in charge of the SBA? Uh, we're privatized. We're mostly funded by payment from some of our more affluent customers. As far as who gives the orders, well, it's a bit complicated. No one knows who it is, except for three top-ranking agents. The rest of us only know her as D. Whatever that means. She never shows her face. She only talks to those three agents, and... They basically run the agency for her, at least from our perspective. That's strange, I murmured, nodding. How long has this been the case? As long as the agency's been around, so a little under 50 years. I don't know. There was a whole history of the agency portion of training, but I didn't really pay attention. 50 years? I repeated. The supernatural brands has only been around since the mid-80s. Why was the SBA on the scene so early? Good question. Well, a better one might be. Why was the FBI on the scene so late? That's ridiculous. There's definitely something we're not considering. I told her, irked by her disrespect towards the Bureau. Wait, though. If our agencies have existed in tandem for decades, how come we haven't discovered each other before? Oh, you know the FBI. <laughs> well, we probably have crossed paths plenty of times. But for some reason or another, they've covered it up. If I had to guess, I'd say both of our bosses know plenty about the other's agency. At that point, we reached a T-intersection. And at the same time, the light from Jody's flashlight glanced off something shiny directly in front of us. What's that? She asked, stepping forward. Be careful, I muttered, 
not as invested in the shiny object as I was about determining which way to go. So I peered down the left passageway, but of course, all there was to see was darkness. After considering the scenario for a moment, I heard a sudden sound from the passageway behind us. I glanced over to Jody, seeing that she reached out to grab whatever had reflected the flashlight's beam. That wasn't what I heard, but I still snapped. What are you doing? That could be dangerous. Yeah, and we aren't going to find out by just sitting around watching it, are we? What did you hear? There's something back there, I replied, gesturing back to the passageway. I unholstered my gun and crouched down as she swung the flashlight beam down the hallway, casting illumination onto a creature straight out of a nightmare. Its long white limbs clung to the wall of the tunnel like a spider. It was climbing towards us, its mouth open to reveal rows of jagged teeth with drool dripping down towards the ground. I let out a yell of surprise before backing up into the wall, aiming my gun at it. I knew that if I ran, I would get lost in the catacombs, doing nothing but prolonging my death. So I had to fight this creature here and now. When I looked over to Jody, she didn't seem phased. What's going on? She asked, looking intently at whatever she held in her hand. I stuttered, looking back and forth between her and the advancing monstrosity. You don't... What are you talking about? What are you talking about? She asked as the creature paused, leaping off the wall to the ground where it bared his teeth at me. You're not seeing things, are you? As she took her hand away from the wall, turning to face the tunnel where the creature was, her eyes suddenly widened and she let out a yelp. What the hell? Where did that come from? As she spoke, the creature leapt forward and I barely managed to roll out of the way as it slandered the wall behind me. Jody, though, gave it a curious look before reaching back into the wall. What are you doing? Fight back! I shouted, firing several times at the creature as I slowly backed into the hallway, the bullet seeming to wound it. Something seemed to dawn on her and she wrenched what she'd been holding out of the wall, a skeletal arm gripping it as she dragged it out. It's not real! She called, brandishing what appeared to be a crystal clear gem. After shaking the arm loose, she walked right past where the creature stood, its eyes tracking her as she went. Here, hold this, she said, offering the crystal. I suspiciously took it. And as soon as I did, the abomination that had moments ago been hunting me voraciously began to distort, its image shifting like that of a TV whose signal was interrupted. I tilted my head and cautiously set the crystal on the ground for a moment, and as soon as my fingers ceased to contact it, the shape became clear, returning to that of a monster. But then it seemed neutralized. It no longer reared to attack, and instead it spun around before retreating down another tunnel. The clicking of its limbs against the bones of the tunnel, fading into silence before long. Do you know what this is? I asked, recognition having been sparked in my mind. It can't be an oratory, can it? Jody returned, and I nodded. What else could it be? It ran away because it knew it couldn't feed off us anymore. Which means... Jody's eyes widened. The others! She exclaimed, and I nodded. Take the crystal. If it lets us see through that illusion, there's a possibility it'll let us navigate easier, I told her, and after she scooped it up, we began running through the twisting halls. Oratory are difficult creatures, to say the least. They're part of the Calometa's classification, meaning that they're partially incorporeal entities that, instead of eating food, survive off the energy produced by negative human emotions. In the case of oratory, that emotion being fear. They are shapeshifters, able to change their appearance. 
and do so often produce the most fear from humans. It explains the wall of fire along with Jackson's encounter. It's easy now to see why one would be living in the catacombs. A fear-inducing environment on its own, even without the threat of a shape-shifting monstrosity. The problem we faced, and the reason we were in such a rush to return to Amelia and Preston, is that our Tory are partially incorporeal. If threatened, or if one believes it to be necessary, they are fully capable of killing humans. The gem, while we didn't quite know what it was, helped us to traverse the passageways easily. I wasn't sure how it worked, but Jody led the way and I followed her. Soon enough, we began to hear the terrified shouts and calls for help from Amelia and Preston. That's them, I said, and we quickened our sprint, rounding a corner to take in the scene. To me, the creature from earlier had Preston and Amelia cornered with their backs to a wall of bone, terrified expressions on both their faces. So, thinking quickly, I shouted, Stay calm! Oh yeah, that'll work! Jody said sarcastically, flipping the gem in her hand before addressing Preston. Hey, sweet! Catch! What? No, don't! I exclaimed, but it was too late. She lobbed the gem underhand at Preston, and because of the fact he was preoccupied with what he saw as a bloodthirsty creature rearing at his throat, the gem sailed past him, shattering into a thousand pieces on a protruding skull. Why would you do that? I exclaimed, but before anyone could do anything else, the creature lashed out at Amelia, swiping its jagged front limb across her throat. Blood began to pour out immediately as she fell to her knees, and seeing an opening, the oratory scuttled past us. I ignored it, rushing forward to the aid of my dying partner, but it was too late. She clasped my arms, blood spilling out over my suit, and as the life slowly left her eyes, I held her hand feeling her grip slowly loosen. Amelia and I had entered the supernatural branch at the same time. We'd been partners for a decade, shared life-threatening scenarios, saved each other's lives countless times. We'd laughed, we'd cried, we'd lived our lives together. And now, thanks to this, this supernatural protection agency and its repulsive agents, she was dead. I didn't talk to Joni after Amelia died. She tried her best to apologize, I'll give her that. But it was so... preventable. The whole time we'd spent in the cave, she'd shown a complete lack of adherence to protocols and rules. If just that once, she could have maybe not followed that precious gut of hers. Maybe... Amelia would still be alive. We called in reinforcements, both her agencies informing us they'd get there the following day. And once we had confirmation, Jody left to wait elsewhere. I stayed, though, staring into the depths of the catacombs, wondering if that creature was still out there, wondering why that gem had been there, what it did, but most of all, wondering why it had to be my partner that died. As I stood, Preston approached from behind. I'm sorry about your partner. I know you FBI agents have a strong connection with your partners. It must be very hard for you. I nodded, biting my lip. After a moment, I changed the topic of conversation. You never did tell us who you were with, I said, 
he sighed. <sighs> if I tell you, you must promise to keep it a secret. You may not even tell your superiors. Keep it out of the mission report. Understand? I nodded again. I'm the leader of... Well, I don't know how to explain it. Now, I suppose we're the EU's version of the supernatural branch, but we're an entire agency. It's called Erkstrom, and as a matter of fact, my people are coming to perform our investigation before the FBI does. I thought about objecting, but I simply didn't have the energy to, so I nodded. Not until much later would the gravity of Preston's reveal set in. This meant that there were more agencies out there. For all we know, every country could have their own. I never really thought about it like that. How the ease with which we conceal our identity from the public could easily mean others could be concealing their identity from us. But, in the moment, I was emotionally destroyed. I needed time to recover, so I sat at a cafe across the street, watching the extra agents do their work under the guise of sewage workers. They'd finished before lunchtime. And so, that was the story of not only the first investigation that took the FBI's supernatural branch out of its jurisdiction, but also the beginning of a rivalry between agents of the SBA and the supernatural branch. The SBA got away just fine. They're still running. Jody Palmer didn't even get a slap on the wrist when all was said and done. But Amelia Cooper, she's gone. Forever. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Fearsome Hero, who played Amelia, R.I.P., and Dodge the Grave, who played Jody. And of course, my apologies to Scandinavia, Nordic countries in general. Thank you for listening.